Joshua chapter 20 and 21. I call it the special cities. We last saw the remaining of the inheritance of the land distributed out to the rest of the tribes. There were seven tribes that we saw last week, the remaining ones that were allotted out by Joshua and the other leaders. We also note that Joshua moved the headquarters from Gilgal to Shiloh in between those two, between lotting out the five tribes and lotting out the seven, moved to Shiloh, a more geographically central location to put the tabernacle. It would be the new center of worship for the next 369 years there in Shiloh. Shiloh was also strategically a valuable high ground from which the Israel's leadership could survey all around the area and the surrounding valleys. What a great military and defensive advantage as well. Now God had Joshua establish some special cities that we talked about in the previous books that were outlining many of these requirements because this was outlined back in Exodus and prior to just getting to the, the other side of the Jordan and uh, of these special cities that were supposed to be set up for the, some people. The first set of cities we see in Joshua 20 here, the cities of refuge. God commands to Joshua and to the people, to the heads of, the, of each tribe, that they were to appoint six cities of refuge within all their territories, three on the west side and three on the east side of the Jordan. This place of refuge was for, for the purpose to protect from the avenger of blood, and we will talk about that today. But here in Joshua 20, verse 1 through 3, it says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood." So we see here God now tells Joshua, all the tribes have their territories, they need to possess those territories and be obedient to God. Now Joshua, you're not done yet. You now need to set up those refuge cities I talked about, that Moses was heard about, now you're hearing about to make sure it is done. And so Joshua is to fulfill what the Lord had commanded to Moses in Numbers 35. Now, when the appointment of these six cities of refuge, it was the fact that these refuge cities are discussed in four books of the Old Testament. Very important point. If it's talked about in four of the key books of the Old Testament, you know how important that is. And as we go through this, you will see the tie to us today in the New Testament as well of the picture of Jesus Christ. So be very uh, uh, track that as you're watching through here. Because as we see here, they were set up because there was a slayer who kills a person accidentally, unintentionally. They're working together. They're buds. They're working hard, cutting wood, providing, whatever. And there's an accident. And his friend gets killed. 
It, was un- it wasn't intentional. It wasn't out of anger and bitterness or any of those things. It was an accident. It was unintentional. But there had to have a place for them to go and flee because in those days there was a time where there would be a avenger of blood for each family member. There was to be an avenger that would represent the family to go take care of business because you took my, my family member's life. I'm going to come and get you because I'm responsible to take your life. That's how important it is. You take one life, you're going you're gonna to lose your life. There's no question they took care of capital punishment through that avenger of the family. But many times accidents and other people would not know, they had to have a place to go because God valued life. And so he wanted them to make sure under manslaughter, that was not a murder, that manslaughter, they had that person could go and run to and find someone to listen to their side of the story and find refuge until that court setting is complete so that the avenger of that family could not take that person's life without having a just moment of of looking at at the situation. So the purpose of the cities of the refuge was to protect the slayer who accidentally and intentionally became a manslaughter that was not intentional but opposed to murder, which is a completely different thing. But they had this place of refuge from the avenger of blood. If such a person needed protection, the Hebrew word for this phrase is goel, and it is a context means the representative from the victim's family is charged with making sure justice is carried out against the murderer of the family. Now, God had a passion to make sure that murderers were punished. In ancient Israel, and in the culture, the final responsibility for justice rested with the designated goel or the avenger of blood in that family. And the principle of capital punishment goes way back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. And whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, this is why it's for, because in the image of God, he made man. The state's right to use the sword of execution is also stated in the New Testament as well. And we see that in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. If you remember when Rome came in and took over uh, in Jerusalem and declared that they no longer had the ability to bring justice through capital punishment, now Rome is the only one. The rabbis lost their minds. Why? Because the only time, according to the scripture, the times they, they would not have is if the Messiah arrived. Once the Messiah arrived and the Messiah would, be, would serve justice, they no longer would do it. In their minds, they, the Messiah had not come. But it was on the exact day that Jesus was there. They just didn't recognize the Messiah was there. So they were going crazy because it went against the law when the Romans said you can no longer do capital punishment. They didn't recognize the fact that the Messiah had already arrived. Right there on the same day, at age 12, when he went into the tabernacle or into the, uh, the temple 
And he sat there and had conversations with the elders right then. And they were amazed by how wise this young 12-year-old was. All that, if you study it, you, it's amazing. God said also that unpunished murders defile the land. Moreover, you shall, not, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except for the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for, the Lord, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. We see that in Numbers 35. Now the avenger of blood tracked down the murderer. Anyone who took the life of that family member, they were to track them down and if necessary, deliver him over to the authorities for execution. And this was providing the testimony. Don't forget what the law said. He could only do that if there was a witnesses of two or more. We see that in, when we studied in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 6 and 7. Two or three witnesses had to be confirmed the guilt of that murder before you could take that person's life. That, didn't, that, didn't, that still had some check and balances in regards to justice being served. And since the avenger of blood might be set himself against a person guilty of manslaughter, which is accidental and unintentional killing, instead of a murder, the cities of refuge were established by God to protect the person innocent of murder. Because God did not want to have their life taken unnecessary. Now, in verse 4, when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So these cities, as we will learn, are spread out in the, of, from north to mid to central on both sides of the Jordan River. All roads were very clear and very well kept so that it would be easy for anyone to flee to one of those cities and not have any hindrance, could freely come. And when they did come, they were able to come to the city, hear their case, its understanding so they could determine and weigh a justice if it's guilty or not based on their, uh, their testimony. But they would then protect them and give them a place there for them to dwell until things get resolved. Now, according to custom, the elders of the city spent much time at the gates of the city. They were wanting to see who was coming and going and being able to have a central place for people to come to to present their cases and to be able to be heard. When someone fleeing from an avenger of blood came to the city of Reggie, he states his case to the elders of the city. There's no politics involved here. Not to say you can't have politics in the religious world too, but that's the elders. That's who had that authority of making sure justice was proper. But after explaining the case, the fleeing person could expect to provide protection within the walls of the city of refuge. You stay in the city walls, you're protected. You go outside the city walls, you're no longer protected. And they could stay there 
and live in that city to enjoy that protection that the city elders provided. Now in verse 5, then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. There was no premeditated. That's the difference when you're making a difference, a decision between manslaughter or murder. Was it premeditated? Did they have anger and bitter in his dispute prior to this? And now this can be seen as a murder because you had an intention. It started with the mind, but then you had opportunity and you took that man's life. That's a murder. But if it was unintentional, we see that the leaders of the city of the refuge were obligated by God to say, obligated as elders to protect the one who fled to that city. And the avenger of blood had no legal standing to deliver the slayer over to execution because it had to still meet the, the decision in the courts prior to that uh, final judgment if it still was a manslaughter versus murder. Now Israel had a sophisticated legal system with judgments often based on intent and premeditation. And it was a very thing that they, they, they had a nice foundation of a legal system to make sure that they are not manipulated other than what is true in fact and intent and premeditation or not. Now, verse 6, we see, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation of judgment. We don't know how long that could take. And until the death, notice this, until the death, it's an and there, not an or, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and in his own house to the city from which he fled. Now think that through. You're sitting there having, you're working with your friend, your neighbor doing something. And the axe head come off and that metal hit you in the guy in the head and killed him. It was unintentional. But someone in that family said, you did that on purpose. You murdered my family member. No, I didn't. And he took off running and booking it to the nearest refuge city. Gets there, gets safety. He can bring his family there and dwell within those city walls. Waiting for the judgment, the final judgment and, and hearing and working through the details. He's got protection. The avenger of blood for that family can't touch him. He leaves, goes back to wherever they live. He's this guy, and now his family potentially go up there and lives within that city. He has to live in that city until these two requirements happen. Until the congregation for the judgment, they stands before the judgment, and whoever the high priest is in those days, until that person dies. Now, I jokingly said this back when we were studying in the Numbers and Deuteronomy and stuff. Can you imagine how many people if, uh, who are in that situation are praying for the high priest to die? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in that position because I don't get to go back home to my, uh, my, my family and, or my neighborhood until that high priest dies. But God's wisdom, there was a reason and a purpose for that. I don't know what the full reason and purpose is why they had to wait for the high priest to die. But that's what the law said. That's what God's word said. And it provided and it protected against the avenger of blood and to be able to have time over time. I think it's, sometimes it's just a, 
period of time for things to subside and the bitterness and all these things to settle down. Because if you immediately go in front of the courts and say, yep, it was a manslaughter, it was unintentional, and now you can go back, you may find yourself in deep trouble because that person hasn't cooled down and hasn't uh, settled their hearts with everything. That's where I kind of lean toward, giving it time for things to, to cool down. But after being declared innocent of murder by the proper authorities, and after the death of the standing high priest, the slayer could go back to his home and be protected against the wrath of the avenger of blood. Now, verses 7 8, we see that these are the appointing of the six cities. We see they were appointed in Kadesh and Galilee, which was the northern part on the west side of the, of the Jordan, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, Kirjath Erba, which is in Hebron. It's in the mountains of Judah. That's the southern part. So you can see Shechem is in the middle. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezar in the wilderness of the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in the Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and, and Golan, which is far north, uh, right up there on the border of uh, Israel and Syria there in, in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. So on the map, you'll look at this, and you see these were assigned. And this was talked about back in Deuteronomy 19, 2 and 3. tells us the proper roads were to be built and maintained as part of building these cities. Make sure these roads are clear. And they had signs telling, city of refuge, city of refuge. So people, there was no question if they were from that area or from the, uh, a stranger or anything, they had a place to go and a place to run quickly to. Now what was the purpose again? It's restated here in verse 9 that these cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. That whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stand before the congregation. I think it's really wise of God. And when you compare that to with, from an old, a New Testament, from, from a refuge of the picture of Jesus, we have to keep it and look at it three perspectives here. The Bible applies this picture of the city of refuge to the believer finding refuge in God on more than one occasion. The first one is Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. More than 15 times the Psalms speak of God as our refuge. We see in Hebrews 6.18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Who do we run to for our hope that sets before us? Jesus Christ is our only hope. That's who we are put our hope in. That is our refuge. That's who we go be set before us. And it points that similar between the refuge of the cities, uh, city refuge and the uh, refuge in Jesus, because both the city and the re- and, and Jesus, our refuge are within easy reach of the needy person. There's no hindrance; it's an easy to come. There is no useless, unused. There's no place where it could be a place of refuge that is of no value. No, no, you can run to Jesus just like you could run to the city that was designated for you to have refuge. We see both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all. It wasn't just for the Jews. It could be the Jews of the Gentiles. 
And they could all run, not just the Israelites, but they could all be turned and come to, to this refuge, just like all can come to Jesus and will not be turned away. Everyone can come. He died for all, not just some. All of that was created by him could come to him for refuge. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge become a place where, there's, where the one is in need can live and find rest. We don't come to a city of refuge in time of need just to look around and, and shop <laughs> and a vacation. We come for refuge because we need safety, we need rest. And we come to Jesus for that peace and that rest. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for the one in need. For that specific protection. Or they would be destroyed. They would die. So people ran to the city of refuge so they would not die. We run to Jesus so we can have eternal life. But both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide protection only within their boundaries. To go outside of those boundaries means death. There's only one way. See, both Jesus and these cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. You want to be set free? The high priest had to die. For us to be set free, our high priest had to die. But the crucial distinction between the city of refuge and, this, and our refuge in Jesus is that the cities of refuge only help the innocent. But you and I, the guilty, can come to Jesus and find refuge. Here's the question for you. Unless you have fled by faith to Jesus Christ, you aren't saved. And since our sins put Jesus on the cross and all of us are guilty of his death, he is the only Savior apart from faith in him. There is no salvation. Have you fled to him for your eternal refuge? Have you? Without a question in your mind. Have you? If you have it, run. Run to him. Run right into his arms. He's waiting for you with open arms. Now we see the next special set of special cities, and we see them, these are cities that are appointed to, for the Levites, the, 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 the religious leaders that took care of the tabernacle. Because as we studied earlier, they cannot own property or they can have the, the land and be part of that. They, they, they were, uh, had to dwell within all of the tribes. But they were able to have a place to live and a place some land to raise their cattle for their food to be able to provide for themselves. And this is where um, Joshua is going to roll this out in regards to the tribe of Levi uh, receiving their cities and their common lands. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers of the houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. 
And they spoke to them in Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their, own, with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. So the Levites received no providence, no land, such as the other tribes did. However, and the reason why is because their province or their receiving of inheritance is in God and God alone. Their inheritance was to be able to live for God and to serve God with no attachments. That was just freely serving of God. And these Levites, because they did not receive this providence of land like the other tribes, they had to, to live somewhere. So God said each of the tribes were to give from theirs a donation, a giving out to freely for these certain cities and common lands so that they could, or that surrounding that city that they're dwelling in, to the tribe of Levi and those people who were living there. Now, it's interesting is the tribe of Levi had no province of land because God declared that he would be their inheritance. We saw that in Joshua 13. The Levites would live off the donations of these 48 cities that are in the lands. 48, we will see from verses 4 through 42 of Joshua, names those 46 or 48 cities scattered throughout the land. 10 of the 48 of them, I'll do the math for you and, and save you on some of the reading, but 10 of them are on the east side of the Jordan. So 10 on the east side, the remaining 38 on the west side. But on the east side, which is interesting, two of them fall within the Manasseh part of the tribe area. And the uh, other four, two each, were in uh, Reuben and Gat. And so that's how it distributes out. Those verses are 4 through 42. Now, each of those were broken out by the three main family divisions there. You see that in verse 1. Now a lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and it names off the children of Aaron, the, the priests who were with the Levites, and had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah. And it goes down through. If you notice, the next one is the rest of the children of uh, Kohath in the 10 cities. Let me see where I'm scanning here. We see the next one, when you scan down a little bit, you'll see, and the children of Gershon. That's the second uh, child of that family of Levites. They had 13 cities by lot. And if you keep going down, you'll see the next is the children of Merari. That's the third son that was broken out. And you can see how many were broken now and what cities there. So again, 48 they were going to set up for these Levites. And all the cities that were part of that, along with common land, which is, the, which is a city of refuge for the slayer as well. So you'll see that they're placed in certain places where you see reference throughout there the city of refuge in, of the slayer. Like verse, 20, uh, verse 13, and then verse 21, and then verse uh, 27, you'll see. Verse 32, you'll see from the tribe of Naphtali, you'll see that the common land is city of refuge of the slayer. So you can see that they had these 
Levites near these cities of refuge as well, just to make sure uh, there was representation in those cities. The striking thing about this list, when you read through that, and you can use that for your reading pleasure tonight, but they were sprinkled. They were all over. There was just to make sure there was coverage for the entire land that the people were dwelling in in Israel. He never intended there to be one state of Levi. They were never going to be and say, it's like us saying, let's pick the best state in the United States. Oh, New York. Yeah, that's the best state. That's all Christians are going to live in New York State. That's going to be our state. And everyone's going to know, where does Christians go and gather? Where's their main place to think of? New York. Yeah, of course, that's the best place for Christians. Can you think of another religion that kind of created that? I won't name the state. But you understand what I'm talking about. No, no. God's intention is that the Levites would be sprinkled priestly influence and presence among all cities, all locations. The special cities of Levites were placed in such a way that anyone in Israel was never more than 10 miles from a Levitical city. 10 miles. There was always a priest or priests nearby. So if you had questions about the law or about the scriptures or the how to application of the scripture, you always had a priest or priests available to you within the land of Israel. Now, this same thing happens for Christians. We're considered what? Priests. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 when we study that. We are to be sprinkled out throughout the world and society instead of heading off to, to make some Christian state or Christian county or Christian country somewhere. We're to be spread and sprinkled out by God's direction. God leads and directs our, our steps. We don't get to sit there and say, all Christians should go to the, the, the Bible Belt. That's where we're all going to go. We're all going to Texas because that's because there's no taxes there. That's what God's leading us to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that is. No, no, we don't determine where we go. We just live our lives. And when God says to go there, that's where he wants to sprinkle you, then he is directing your steps. You don't direct your own steps and ask God to kind of bless it. That's not how you live for life as a Christian. God, I want to go here because of a lot of great reasons and good logic. Can you just bless it? No. Lord, I, I'm blessed wherever you plant me and sprinkle me. That is where I'm going to be blessed because I know it's your will. Do you see the difference? You should. Now, perhaps it's also significant that the priests received these cities last of all the tribes. Priests are appointed to serve, not to be served. And there is something priestly about letting others go first. Spiritual leaders shouldn't be going first. They shouldn't be prominent. Treated like royalty. No, no, they didn't get to be the first ones to select the best cities and the best lands. No, no. That was a freely given from the tribe, the cities. 
out of their, out of their inheritance, they were able to come and have land and dwell. Now, verse 21, or chapter 21, at the end here in verse 43, it says that the land of, we see the land of Israel is given to them by God. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. Again, an emphasis here is Israel takes full possession of the land. I mean, it's at the very end. Everything's done now. We're really all the inheritance, all the tribes, all the refuge cities in place. The Levites are taken care of. Everything that God had in store here, the Lord gave to Israel all the land. All the tribes had their land. Now, but they had to go still and do work. They had to go to every corner of that land, what God had given them, and take full possession. But God had provided everything necessary for them to do that. But they had work to do. They didn't sit around doing nothing. They had to do the work and take possession of all the land that was given to them. Verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around. Ah, did you see that word? According to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. None of their enemies can stand against God's people. What weapon can be formed against you, we know in the scriptures. And he's saying to them right there, none of those enemies could stand against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Now, it's interesting, the Lord gave them rest all around. This is the point where Israel stops commemorating the Passover as if equipped to travel, you know, that we saw back in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. It's all that commemorating, it kind of stopped right there. Now, they were, will eat Passover not moving, not going from like a camping but now they're actually in the land and can rest and literally rest and recline in the finished work of the Passover. That's described in John 13, 23. Because the Lord had given them rest in the land. Before, when they did Passover, they couldn't do it because they were constantly moving. Now they have fine rest and they can com kept commemorate the Passover once again because now... The travel is done. They, they're, they've met their destination. Verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. I like finalization. I like closure, right? It's no question. Not a word failed. I, those are important words. When God says something's going to happen... It never fails. It's going to happen. Did you know that? Why is that important to you and I? Because as we look and read the rest of the scriptures, and we see the promises, and we know what the prophecies, it's no doubt when God said in his word, no word is going to fail. It's going to happen. The Lord is going to come back and take us home. Are you an amen on that one? Because he said it saying right here, you have been brought into the promised land like I promised 
from your fathers. Now, if I ponder on that, he didn't say how it was going to get there. When he made the statement to Abraham, and then he made the said there's going to be a promise, did he fill in all the gap of how that was all going to look? No. Can you imagine if he told Abraham, now Abraham, just letting you know, I got a promised land, and all your people that are coming up, they're going to go to Egypt. They're going to be in slavery. They're going to try to be killed. They're going to have to wander around in the wilderness. They're going to be rebellious. They're going to die. A whole generation. The next generation is not even, you know, is going to come in. We're going to have to conquer enemies. He didn't tell Abraham any of that detail. All he said is, I'm going to bring my people into the promised land. Do you know that happens in our own life? God doesn't think God does not give us the details of our life because we would, we, we probably would not want to live that life because from the point when you're created to the point when you die, who is to know all that? Who, who would want to even know what the future looks like? Only what God gives us that is pertinent for life is in the scripture of what we can tell what the future is going to be. And it's all good for us. It's all bad for those who are not a child of God. A pretty simple summary, is it not? And so we can fast and find this rest because we know all will come to pass. Just like it came to pass to inherit the promised land. We are going, it's all going to come to pass for us to go into to heaven. Into our Savior's arms. God was completely faithful in regarding to the land. And he will be faithful to you and I. Even though Israel was not always faithful, God's still faithful. Even though you and I are not always faithful, he is still faithful. Any failure to fulfill the promises and the possessions was not because God did not give it to them. He took care of the enemies. He gave them the land. You were supposed to do your part. And we see Israel didn't do their part. They didn't go and possess all the land. They let the enemy come in and, and have influence into their lives. They caused all kinds of havoc. They had, to be, they had to be punished by God to bring them back to God. He had to let, take his hand off and let the enemy come in and, t- and mess them up a little bit. To get their attention, to cry out to God and bring them back. But that's not God's fault. That was their fault for not being obedient. But God had made adequate provisions. He made everything come because Israel just fully chose not to be obedient and they failed to fulfill the uh, follow the, the, the Lord completely. But God was always completely faithful. And he is faithful to you and I. He has made a way for us to have victory. He conquered death. Amen, right? Yes, and amen. Conquer death. We don't fear death. We don't fear enemies. We don't fear. We get to live. We get to rest in that assurance of our relationship with Christ. He has given you great things. Many things to possess. The question is, are you fully living 
that life of rest in Jesus. Are you all the things that God has given you, you are able to possess as a child of God? Are you fully living for him? I hope so. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit for speaking to us, teaching us this evening from your word. The things we need to hear. May we be children of God that likes and eagerly wants to apply it to our life. To please you. To worship you. And be thankful children. In Jesus' name. Amen.